Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. We have our dear friends with us, Kathy and Brian, or Brian and Kathy in Honduras. However, Brian and Kathy, my green screen shot is more Honduran than your uh, undisclosed location shot. How are you guys today? All right, so I just want to do a real quick uh, a check. I think we're doing good right now. So, um, well, it's uh, Wednesday and the world is kind of spinning, but I want to ask you guys a question. You're way over in Honduras. We're, we're a thousand miles away at least. I don't, I don't know how far we are from you, but I've been talking to people in the last few days, and they have been talking about an uptick of spiritual weirdness that's going on in the atmosphere. Are you guys picking that up over in Honduras? from the west of the, the rest of the world. Honduras is sort of, at least where we're at right now, it's, they're kind of asleep. You know, it's people go out and with, in, every day with their machetes and they go into their fields and they they tend their fields and they cut firewood and, you know, it's a, it's a subsistence kind of uh, livelihood that they, they eat out here. And so they don't really, we have, we have news in Honduras, which is, Maybe as good as CNN is in terms of truth. Mm. So, Yikes. You know, uh, a lot of people are trying to get to the United States. You know, a lot of people are going to the United States illegally. And uh, there's a word out, word here is, is if, if I get to the United States, I can make $10 an hour instead of, you know, a, a high of 8 to $10 a day. You know, and so they're just going, they just want work. They just want jobs. 
Wow. And, uh, you know, and so the word when when uh, when it looked like Joe Biden was going to win, or everybody's hoping Joe Biden would win here, and the only reason that it was because they were told that they were going to everybody was going to get a free pass in the United States, and so it's uh, and they were that's what happened. So everybody's going. Everybody that can't go is going. A lot of people have family members in the United States that. Uh, you know, have been working there for years, and, and so some people are sending their children there, and 12-year-old girl just just got sent, they paid $3,000 to a coyote and, and sent her to the United States, and she's with her family in the United States now, so, so. But as far as that, um, that, that spiritual Yeah, well, I totally agree with you. Yeah, there, it, it, there is no real normal. It's only right in the kingdom of heaven and the Holy Spirit. Patricia and I were having a conversation this morning when we woke up out of Hebrews chapter 6, and most everybody knows that where the cry of the author of Hebrews chapter 6 was, let's go on into a more mature understanding of the things of God, and let's leave behind those elementary principles, which are always glorious but, you know, repentance from dead works, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, laying on of hands, faith in God. You know, we, that's not a boring subject, but we're really living in times where God is calling deep unto deep. And he's really desiring his kids to come into a deeper fellowship with him beyond those elementary things so that maybe there's a more spiritual communication. And I think we desperately need that. Um, how about you? I mean, do you sense a call of God for the church? If you stay where you're at, go around these mountains again with these elementary principles, uh, you're really not going to be thoroughly and fully equipped to deal with what's coming down the pike. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we were just talking this morning about, you know, just, it's sort of, uh, you mentioned it a few times, I forgot exactly how you said it yesterday, but we're kind of gone beyond the time where big evangelistic push has been on, and it's and it's now we're being called more on to ourselves, more inwardly as a body. I think in terms of like going into the wilderness or wherever it is that God is calling us, and um, and we were we were sensing the same exact thing. And it's you know not that we don't evangelize, not that we don't witness when the opportunity presents itself, but you know that the, the church has been sort of like an amphibious assault on the world, you know, where it's just it's an encouragement to just go forth and just just you know. Guerrilla evangelization is what I call it. You just get run, you know. Except Jesus, good, thank you, God. You know, you're in the kingdom, welcome. You know, and that's it. That's the end of it. And we're called into something deeper now. But I think that part of what he's showing us is I, I keep remembering uh, 
when I was a kid, I, my grandfather was a, a dairy farmer in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, you know, and they, they were, that my family's been there basically since the Mayflower landed. And, uh, you know, I remember I had this steel, uh, steel rod, uh, fly rod for a fishing pole. There was a brook, a stream that went through the property through his farm, and I used to go trout fishing there. And, and, and I was a cocky kid and thinking, you know, I knew everything. And one day I remember my grandfather telling me, you know, I wouldn't walk out with that steel rod sticking out in front of me like that, you know. And had I asked him why, Grandpa, I think he probably would have given me the reasons why. But instead I was just like, ah, you know what? Steel guy, I got this. Don't worry, I'm fine. And right. So later on, my grandmother said she heard me scream when I ran into the electric fence about a mile away at the time, you know. And, uh, you know, my grandfather just was at the table and he's just like, the, the, the. and so what I mean is, is I think we're at a place now where people have, have heard about Jesus, they've heard about the gospel, they've, they've either said, come and say, well, what is that? You know, tell me more about that. Or they're just rejecting it outright. And we're entering a time now where, where God is going to turn up the heat, but there are going to be a lot of people that are going to start asking questions once, once the heat gets turned up. And I think that's how, how the gospel is probably going to go forward from here. That's absolutely amazing. So while you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, um, knowing the times is really where, um, and, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I believe that the prophetic spirit of God, God's prophetic spirit, is, uh, is an assistant to help us understand what time it is. And a lot of people are thinking that we're coming into the greatest revival. There's going to be a great harvest. Stadiums are going to be packed and filled, and people are going to be like the Billy Graham days. And I, I don't believe that is the prophetic inspiration for this moment. I believe the gathering is going to be seven here, 10 there, 15 over here. Uh, as people are departing from the world stage, come out of her, my people, and going into those prepared places, um, I believe that with all my heart, and we need to understand the prophetic, but we live in such a Babylonian mindset in the ecclesia today. We're hearing so many different voices. What do the people of God do? How do they know? You know, it's kind of like in the days of Elijah. They're looking this way. They're looking this way. You know, who's God? You know, when does this showdown happen where people could wake up and really respond properly? God really highlighted for me, basically, that, that he was going to send the Assyrians in to punish Israel, basically. And then he was going to punish the Assyrians to punish Israel. And I think we're at a time right now where, where that's coming. But in terms of the Ecclesia, it's, it's more like Jeremiah 14, where you've got the false prophets saying, the sword and famine shall not come to the land. You know, and God said, I have not said sword and famine will come to the land. In fact, sword and famine is coming to the land. You know, and, and so, but the tendency, I think, is, is, is to confuse, uh, you know, if there's always the process of individual justification, individual salvation that takes place in the context of, it takes place in the context of uh, whatever is going on, whether it's prosperity or whether it's the middle of war. But the fact of the matter is, God judges nations. And if we look at Jeremiah 29, you know, people love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, I plan to prosper you, not to harm you, you know, for your good. Yeah. But but they, they take that completely out of context, and they use that to support the prosperity gospel. And no matter what, this is God's purpose to prosper you, right? But in the context of that, 
eviction counselor for, for 12 years. And, um, and, you know, the bottom line is the goal that we would have as eviction counselors would be to raise the bottom, you know. But the, the fact of the matter is, is until pain, the pain of staying the same exceeds, right, exceeds the pain of change, right, then people don't change. And so God has to bring judgment. He's got to turn up the heat because otherwise people look everywhere but to him. And there's only one way, you know. And the way that looks like in the context of judgment is grabbing on to a rope, tying a knot, and hanging on is what it's going to look like for a lot of people. In the meantime, for the, the, the ecclesia, our job is to, is to try to raise the bottom and explain like, hey, this is judgment here. It only to get worse. You know, and the only way that it's not going to get worse is to do something that historically has never happened with God's people, and that is to really turn and repent from their sins, right? It's in Second Chronicles 7, 14. You know, if my people call by my name, will we'll, we'll turn, will pray, and, and, and seek my face, then, I'll, then I will then turn from their wicked ways, and I'll heal their land. And and um, we're not doing the People of God have never done that. They've just gone through this same cycle over and over again. And we're in a place right now where we're going into bondage. You know, what that bondage looks like might not look exactly like what it looks like for Israel, but in the spirit, it's going to be the same thing. And we see it happening all around us. But people, we still have the false prophets, the Jeremiah 14 prophets, you know, prophesying prosperity. Everything's going to be fine. We just got to get down in trouble. Life is it. Yada, yada. And it's just not. So people get to the point where they realize none of this is working. Well, you're absolutely right. And um, Kathy, you know, just a quick comment on your part, because I know that uh, at least what I understand about our conversation with you and Brian, um, you know, your intense desire to see the body of Christ become uh, in nature what God has called us to be and the method or the way into that transformation has not been an easy course and yet it's necessary. And so how do people that live in this comfortable, at ease in Zion, you know, place? And let me tell you what it feels like here in the United States. And, and again, we do the, we're doing the best we know to do. And yet I can sense that, that weightiness that's coming where the morphing, where minds of the masses are being, you know, just kind of being heavily uh, laid upon with, a, with an inability to move. And it reminds me of the scripture that there will come a snare on the whole world and they will not escape. And you get, I'm, I'm, I'm picking that up strong, you know, and, and, and for the last, you know, however long, just how do people stir themselves in a very real way, not a religious way, but a very real way living in this country? I mean, you can't, you can't blame yourself for living here. It's where God has put us. But how do you maintain the fire? How do you uh, encourage people that are here that, you know, the big deal to us is somebody cut us off on the freeway? You know, how do you prepare people for the chariots that are coming if they're struggling with the, horse, with, with the footmen? What are your thoughts about that?
Okay. Excellent question. Uh, Brian, let me ask you this. And Kathy, um, I can see, and again, this is just, you know, me thinking and seeing, I, I can see both of you have been prepared on the backside of a desert, so to speak, for however many years God has had you back there, uh, being faithful, going through the process, uh, no, no glorified halos around the head, but just a very real, genuine, organic uh, coming together with the Spirit of God, a union with Christ, a union with the Father, learning how to do this, you know, with you and God. And to me, one of two things has to happen. And that is either God's going to begin to start sending people to you where you are going to become useful for the building up of the tabernacle of David, as we've been calling it lately, um, or he's going to release you and to come into a nation like this that is prosperity driven, that is, you know, legalistic on the other side. You, you can't do this and you can't do that. And there's a beautiful balance that I'm sure that both of you have tapped into in your lives and a hunger to be able to assist. Uh, Brian, speak into that. How do, you know, how do you feel about that thought? That, I mean, if you only knew how prophetic that question actually was, you know, for, our, for us in our lives, you know, and that's literally we're at this place right now where, where we are. God has repeatedly shown us how he, how he confirms things between us, you know, and it's, and it's sort of like when I share, you know, actually talk about uh, a people that will come from afar and they will bring their glory. They will bring their resources to the people that God has set up to take care of them, spiritually speaking. And we're not talking about materialism here. We're just saying that I can envision as, as the United States of America has a huge target on its back and is still boasting the Babylonian boast of nobody could touch us We'll never see a day of sorrow. Well, we've seen a lot of days of sorrow, and it's going to get worse, and we agree with that, that this is the time as we are marching in an accelerated way to the end, to the great tribulation. Well, there will be some people. We have a lot of friends that have moved down to Costa Rica. They're expats. They're down in uh, Panama. Uh, they live in different places in South America. They heard the call years ago to flee Babylon, the daughter of Babylon, America, and they did. And some, like yourselves, went out on a missionary tour to do the work of God. So I believe there's probably going to be a great exodus out of the United States by some that are going to hear the call and maybe some at the last minute. Maybe some are hearing already and they're already pre-positioning themselves to be in the right place at the right time. Others that are here that have heard the call, have been led by the Holy Spirit into places like I believe we are in right now, Northwest Arkansas. And others are just kind of sitting. 
and, and, and it may be uh, a real shaking that's going to wake them up, but I, be- I could see God sending people to you. There's probably a gentleman listening right now, uh, Pastor Mike Villarin, pro- uh, lived in Hawaii, and you guys would get along so perfectly. He's probably thinking, I'll just go down to Honduras and, and, and work with those guys down there. Uh, and I could see that happening or God bringing you out. But the purpose would be for what? For, for the word of God to be taught in a way that would put an end to the confusion, that would drive people to the cross, that would bring and compel people to that life of serving God all in, nothing reserved to themselves. Speak into them. So the way I, where 
interjection of what you're saying. Go ahead, Kathy. Do you want to say something? No. No, go ahead. Sure? Because I just, I'm just, you go, you go. significance, how everybody wants to be impactful. You know, we want to be the man of God, the woman of God. We want to be uh, influential, significant. We have the power of God within us to do the work. And I think the only thing is, is that God is doing the work. And if we could yield to that reality, that me apart from him equals zero, that he is the vine, I am the branch. Apart from him, we are nothing. And if we can accept that as being okay, well, what a beautiful way to begin to serve the Lord and let it be he's significant. And I want to convince you that he is without trying to draw that glory to myself. That is super important because people have been so brokenhearted. People have been so broken. They've been rejected, dejected, smitten. Uh, they've had no value, no appreciation. People haven't honored them. Now they come into Jesus and they're told he loves you. You are significant. You are valuable and you are appreciated by God. And so we start to feel a little bit of that air come into our sails and we go, wow, you know, God has made me to be special. And, and, and if we just keep it that way and give God the glory, we can avoid some of the pitfalls of pride or becoming self-sufficient or look what the Lord has done because um, what a critical balance. And one other thing that you brought up was um, the idea in Hebrews chapter four where it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the soul and the spirit are so closely related that if somebody operates out of a high-level solical uh, psychology, most people would say they are deeply spiritual. But the fact of what I just heard you say is that 
a tiny little smidgen of genuine spirituality that comes from the spirit of God, you are far superior to the highest intelligence of the natural man. Speak into that. I thought that was significant. said, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, um, and, and this gets back into spiritual warfare. I believe this is what you were talking about earlier, about the intrinsic battle that needs to be worked out first, uh, pulling down strongholds out of our own thinking, our own imaginations, our own minds. So this is interesting. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And what a lot of us don't understand, and we don't carry the understanding with us consciously, is that our lives have the potential to put Christ to shame. And a lot of times we're, we're, you know, we're boasting we're the Lord's, but there are some things I don't think God would want us to take responsibility for. I don't think he'd want to say, you know, I'm, you know, you're boasting about something, but the way you're behaving, the way you're conducting, the way that you're acting, the way that you're living, I don't even want to be connected to that. So the better thing to do is to continually admit, hey, listen, I'm, I'm a, a, a work under construction. He's not finished with me yet. He's begun a good work. He's going to complete that work. And that allows for the humility, but we have to live in such a way with all the grace, graciousness that God's given us, that we don't put him to an open shame. Can you speak into that, how we do that? 
question, um, and, and it, this gets back into doctrine and programming the mind and renewing the mind and all of that, which is part of spiritual warfare. So maybe these people, for example, in Hebrews chapter 6, they tasted the power of the kingdom of God. They walked in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. They, they were there. They had it. They possessed it. But the persecution caused them to fall away from their faith. And if we have a mindset that serving God is all roses and everything is supposed to work all the time in the realm of, you know, nothing but blessing, nothing but prosperity, nothing but, you know, the, the glory realm. And if we're, if we're not prepared for the loss of all things, the persecution that will come, maybe they fell away from their faith in God because all of a sudden they came out of that realm of the glory and prosperity and they had everything. Now they have nothing Maybe they were tempted to say, you know what? Maybe God isn't as good as we were told. God is good all the time. Well, this doesn't appear that God is good. Speak into that. my will 
job is to get aligned with God's will. You know, because then when we're walking with him, it's like, if he's for us, who can be against us? You know, a thousand shall fall on one side, ten thousand on the other. Those are the days that come ahead of us for those who are really in. So, you know, every day the key for me is to begin with, okay, Lord, what's what's out of alignment here? You know, and and uh, I like to use the analogy of, of of a sailboat. And Kathy was a sailor. I was never a sailor. And uh, but um, I've been on a sailboat. and I've been at the helm of a sailboat. And and so there's there's two ways that you navigate on, on a sailboat. One is dead reckoning, meaning you're looking at one single point on the shore and you keep your eye fixed on that and you're constantly steering. And the other is by compass. When you're in a sailboat, you you, you start off a true north, right? But then you're always drifting one degree left, one degree, you know, one degree to the right. And it's just constant, subtle, subtle adjustment correction. Yeah. If I don't do that, well, one degree off course for 500 feet, eh, no big deal. One degree off for 500 miles, wow, I'm going to be a long, long way off course, you know. And so it's like a lot of spiritual warfare is like guiding a sailboat. And the other thing, too, that I, I always remember, and I, it's, it's got, I don't know, maybe it's for me, it's got prophetic significance, but I was with my friend Rudy uh, on a sticker load, his sailboat. And he just said out of the blue, he goes, you know, that was a sail fill, you know, and a lot of times we can become puffed up and our sails are filled and we're like, wow, I, I'm doing this for guys. You know, he said, but you know, a lot of people think that a sailboat is being blown, but it's not being blown. It's actually being it, it's actually stopping the wind. It's creating a vacuum in front of it. And so that the, the, the sailboat is actually being pulled along. So while, while the tendency is to think we're just setting the sails and just getting it just right in all our skills, it's really the fact that, that a vacuum is created in front of the boat and, we're, and the, the boat is being sucked. <laughs> and I think that has a lot to do with the way the key to working, uh, to walking with God. Everything might look the same on the surface. What's actually taking place is, God is the one who's pulling us and taking us where we're going, right? We're just trying to stay in alignment with his will. Amen. That's beautifully said. And I was um, thinking as you were talking about that, what true salvation is, you know, because I'm always going back, you know, what is salvation? And the American gospel, the gospel of, you know, call it what you will without being critical, but there's a gospel that really doesn't bring about the salvation that's intended. I, w- I was raised 39 years ago when I came to faith in Christ, when God saved my life and he began a work in me. The salvation was not about anything externally. It was about the removal of the corruption and the defilement that I saw in my soul that I never saw before. As a young man, I never saw it, man. I was a Catholic. I had the horn around my neck. The Pope had me covered. I didn't have, you know, I was just a, just a wild guy, but man, I thought I was going to heaven because I was a good guy because I was Catholic. But when I saw the holiness of God as revealed in scripture, in all sincerity, I, I did. I despised myself. I looked at myself and I saw the wretchedness of who I was even then and through the years the same way. The word of God keeps bringing me back that my salvation isn't about going to heaven. My salvation, the salvation of Scripture, is the saving of my soul so that I can become a new creation in Christ Jesus and just become what God created me today uh, to be without my own human effort in it. And so as Christian men and women, the idea is to get cleaned up, to be purified, to be washed 
and to get rid of the defilement, the corruption, to put off the old man, put on the new man. And I believe we're living in a season where that has to be a rapid acceleration in our understanding. But the spiritual block, the deception, the lies, the false information, the idea of our Christianity is about going to heaven one day and we're going to be with God. I think it's so much deeper than that. And if people really understood what Father God is after, which is a new creation species, that we would be a little bit more in the fear of the Lord to make sure that our inward parts are cleaned up before God and we're operating in the truth. Your thoughts? Well, I thought it said that Jesus didn't come to bless us. He came to transform us. You know, and, um, I like that. That is uh, where the word of God is. It, um, Romans 12, be ye transformed. correct? You were in the military? All right. So I had, uh, my uncle was a drill instructor for the United States Marine Corps down in San Diego. And uh, my father was a Marine. And, and so military training. Okay. When you went into boot camp, when you joined up and you went in, the first thing they began to do with you was to address your civilian life and transform you into a soldier. And, you know, I think personally, and I don't want to sound hardcore in this, but I believe that the church today, the ecclesia today, needs more drill instructors 
rather than what we've been being trained up under because the training that we've experienced in our generation has been so soft, so so relaxed, so easy, so you don't have to do anything. God just loves you and he oozes on you. And I agree with a lot of that. But if I ever am going to become like my master, like my teacher, I mean, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying. And I mean, I go down and I look at the apostolic uh, men of God that were shipwrecked at sea and they went through what they did. It's as though, you know, we need drill instructors in our life to grow us up, to become prepared for what's coming. But then we're afraid of that because, well, you know, you don't, you know, there's something different. And when I read the scriptures, I think, man, if I were in Paul the Apostle's church, if I was part of his congregation, or I know it's all God's church, I get that. But if Timothy, he's telling Timothy and Titus, you know, your bishops and your overseers, ordained elders, get things going in the right direction. You know, if I'm at the church of Corinth, and I've got the Apostle Paul writing letters. He's talking about turning people over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that their soul may be saved. I, you know, I, just today, this come and go, the program, the song, feel good, pay the tithe. And, and I do, in a sense, ridicule that because I, it's not the people, but it's the lack of transformation that that kind of programming is doing. Brian, do we need drill instructors in the body of Christ again? Uh, I think, yeah. <laughs> it's cautious. But I think it comes back to uh, the, you know, the desire to have a drill instructor come in. It, it's kind of a cry, a soul cry for the fact that, that men have abdicated their role, not just in the church. It began in the church and then it extended to society. Or maybe vice versa, it happens.
Amen. Yeah, exactly. I know you probably are very familiar with Watchman Nee. Um, Watchman Nee, uh, he, he terrified the daylights out of me when I was a younger Christian and the disciplinary tones that he had in his writings and the way he was. There was a counterpart to him by a man by the name of T. Austin Sparks. And T. Austin Sparks was a general of generals, in my opinion, uh, where he would say the same exact things that uh, Watchman Nee would say, but he carried something of an anointing and an impact that he could say it in a way where it was, you were able to embrace it and not feel like you were being completely destroyed uh, by the disciplinary powers of a Watchman Nee. But I really do believe that the body of Christ, we're called to be soldiers and we're called to, you know, uh, as, as kingdom soldiers living in a hostile world of the world of flesh and the devil is a reality. And I feel as though the scattering of the body of Christ, and again, this is God's the commander-in-chief. He's the overseer of the whole thing, so we'll leave that to him. But I just believe that there are so many wandering about really not having direction and focus and uh, understanding what kind of hostile battle we are in in our generation. And there just needs to be some kind of clarion call to the body of Christ, to believers, to really wake up and start to focus and concentrate because the persecution that is coming, the Bible says, the love of many will wax cold. There will be a falling away. A lot of people are not going to stand in these final days. So because we love the body of Christ, we love people, we want to tell the whole world, listen, there is a force coming to take you into the eternity of separation from God, which is darkness and damnable and tormenting and you know, how do we address that? How do we do that? I think that uh, yelling like a drill instructor, well, maybe some places, if, if God calls us to do what we do. I, I mean, I, working with inmates and things like that, I've tended to kind of like be very stern and very upfront in terms of like the way I present the truth. And I, but I think a lot of it is going to be like, I, I think of Paul in Acts chapter 14, I think it is, where you know, he's being pursued by the Jews and they're trying to get him to shut up and finally they get to the point where they, they beat him and they stone him and they drag his body outside the city and it's the disciples, the image that I have there, the disciples are standing around and weeping and like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? wakes up, gets up, brushes himself off and goes back into the city and starts preaching again. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's a lot of times there are things that, that we're going to have to model seriously. Sometimes I know, we got to a place where, you know, the, the soft, kind of gentle, loving, God loves you. He would never hurt you. He would never want you to suffer any kind of pain. You know, that was kind of like a, a radical swing in a, in a direction away from the legalism of the previous generation. You know, like the Jesus, the Jesus people movement was, was, you know, a lot of good things came out of that. A lot of bad things came out of it as well. But it, it, it was a response to something that they perceived to be wrong in the church. And some of it was wrong, and some of it wasn't wrong. Some of it was spot on, you know. And we've been a big, tend to throw the baby out with mm. the bathwater, I think. You know, 
know, and I, and I think we have to really be careful not to do that. We need to look in and say, well, and sort through, say, okay, this is good, this is solid, we'll keep this, and this, this, no, this is nonsense, you know. Yeah. We're going to dispense with that, you know. So there's a pl- – go ahead, Kathy. Thank you. 
like that. It's like, oh, if you just love them enough, then, then they'll come to, you know, to the knowledge of the truth. And, you know, maybe at the beginning, you're obviously going to give some grace if they're actually looking. But there's a certain point where you're just going to cling to your same old lifestyle doing the same old thing. And it's like there needs to be a separation. Now, that doesn't mean that you're, 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 you're this fellowship like a Jehovah's Witness where you can never, ever, ever return again. You know, there, there's paths to restoration, but it's on, on our terms. It, what, what's happened in the body of Christ is it's become like more like Alcoholics Anonymous that actually began, that came out of, it had the roots of the Welsh revival, you know, and, and when they first began, they had, you know, it, it says that, um, I think it's the third step that says made a decision to, to uh, turn our will and our lives over the care of God as, as we understand Him. Hmm. And, and, and so that became sort of like this relativistic thing. Well, as you understand God, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. But the way it was originally worded was you came to make a decision to turn your will in life over to the care of God as we understand Him. So we're going to teach you and disciple you and, and, and explain to you who this God is. But now today, it's like everybody just creates a God in their own image, literally there. But then we don't we don't actually acknowledge it in the body of Christ. But so often people are creating a God in their own image. You know, let me ask you this question. With that being said, yeah, because this is this is one of the things I'm I'm wanting to understand and and re- uh, genuinely wanting to do this right. I go back to the book of Acts chapter 5. I see this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They walk into the church. They're part of the church of Jerusalem. Uh, They had some land. They gave some money. They lied about how much money they gave. Um, And that, you know, hey, we gave you some money. We said it was more than what we gave. Well, they walk into the house where Peter was, whatever was going on there, and he asked them, did you really give this much money? Somehow he found out by the Holy Spirit or whatever. And he goes, yeah, we gave that much money. He says, how have you lied to the Holy Spirit? This is just about how much money they gave. He says, well, it was yours. You could do anything you want. Nobody took anything from you. But why would you lie? Why did you do that? Well, he drops dead and dies. Three hours later, his wife comes in. She enforces the lie. And he says to her, the same people that buried your husband is coming for you. And she drops dead. Whatever happened to that kind of spiritual authority and the jealousy of God for the ecclesia that a little lying spirit created death. Where is that anymore? Not that I want people to start dying. That's not the point. But where do we see the the body of Christ moving in a way under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit? And then you have the, the apostolic Peter and all the people around them. You know, where is that? It just seems that people move so freely in and out, doing their own thing when they want to. There's nothing of a divine order, authority. It's just not there. What happened? I think what's happened is that we've reacted the first greatest commandment and left just the second greatest commandment. So our emphasis is on love our neighbor as ourselves. But unless you actually get the first greatest commandment, love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, then you can't do the second commandment. And so I think that's what's happened. And I, and, and I think the times when I am most frustrated and I get most angry about what's happening in the body of Christ in particular is just this, I'm jealous for, for my God, you know, for his holiness, for his standards, and the fact that it's like, they're, they're just kind of like kicked to the curb as long as I'm loving my neighbor and 
loving my neighbor in the world is defined as by making them feel good. And if they feel good, then they're loved. You know, and then I get to feel good about making them feel good and everybody's loved and everybody's happy and it's nice, warm, fuzzy, and everybody's on the path to hell, which is where they're going. You know, and it's, um, and, and we need to get back to, to the, the, the holiness of God. And I was thinking about during the Feast of Tabernacles, Pastor Honeycutt, You've been quiet. That's an excellent comment. Your thoughts? Well, I was trying to find a scripture where um, it, it's in uh, John 10, 12, uh, hirelings. You know, Jesus says in, the, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, someone who gets paid, it's, you know, like, it's a job now, you know, it's not like a pastoral shepherd. And not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling, the hireling flees because he's a hireling and cares not for the sheep. And maybe it, it's going to get to that point, but I believe that, you know, there's some that are called to be teachers and pastors, you know, evangelists and, and um, apostles and stuff, but there is a group that of those, unfortunately, that just do it for the money. And um, so he wants to please the people. And, and I think that's what God is revealing now. I mean, it's all going to look ugly. It's going to be messy. And it's going to be sad because the sheep are going to be scattered. You know, and I think we need to be ready to receive those sheep. You know, and maybe they won't come. Maybe they will fall away and not return. But um, I think we're in those times. God told us about, you know. We, we are absolutely in those times. As, as you're, you're talking, just a, a thought's coming into my mind about um, it's messy. You know, it's just so messy right now. And, and we're, we know that legalism, real, genuine, religious legalism is so stuffy bondage Nobody wants it. And yet there are people that are stuck 
in stuffy bondage religious legalism. The, the, the counterpart, the reality to that, is a deep desire, as you just expressed, for the minister of God to make sure that the people they're ministering to are coming into what Christ desires. And which is, is it's such a fine line. It's, it's a razor's edge um, how to accomplish that, how to grow people up. You know, we send our kids to university, we send them to college, and we commit them to these professors and teachers that are going to grow up their little minds. And, you know, we're okay. We'll spend, we'll spend $40,000 to send junior to a, a college, an Ivy League college, and we're going to let those professors shape their mind and those teachers get in there. And then you, you lose your children. In today's environment, you go to college, they're gone. Um, and yet there's got to be a true ministry of Christ on this earth. And maybe it's just going to be found in the wilderness in these last days with all the confusion that's going on. And those that do escape and go into the wilderness, maybe there'll be some retraining, restructuring of things internally and spiritually. Speak into that, Brian. is going to be revealed before the end comes, you know, and it's, um, there are, it's a requirement. And uh, I think maybe it will be, maybe it will be the wilderness, or maybe we just, we just don't see what's, what lies ahead, you know. Most of the time when I'm trying to figure out what's coming and how it all fits together, then it's just me trying to figure out how it's all going to happen, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like playing with my Rubik's, my own personal Rubik's cube. You know, sometimes I get something right, and I'm like, wow, yeah, yeah, I got this. And, but most of the time, it has absolutely nothing to do with what God's actually doing. And, and we were talking about this again this morning, because every morning, one of us is sort of like, what are we doing? You know, and then, uh, you know, and, and, but everything that we've done, we understand in retrospect. You know, everything makes sense in retrospect. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, now that makes sense, you know, and along the way there's like little touches from God and confirmations and things like that so that we, he keeps us on track but just again, my grandfather, you know I used to, used to carry a rod, you know when he was bringing the, the, the cows in and out of the field, you know, he wasn't feeding the, the cows with it, it was just this little hickory stick rod, he would just tap them you know, they start heading off in the wrong direction, tap, tap on the butt you know? Amen Miles to the pastor, and that's kind of like what he what God's doing with me, anyways. You know, there may be young people that are that are higher on the animal chain there, but I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking. So I've been thinking the last couple of days, and I and I, I do. I, I have this humorous part of my life where I could get I could crack myself up. But I've been thinking, you know, the, the Looney Tunes. You know, everything has shifted into the spiritual environment. And talk about it, it's Looney Tunes, and it's. It's kind of like it's a mad, mad world. It's like all this stuff that's going on right now, we're, we're trying to be genuine and, and genuinely connected to what God is doing to bring things to where God wants them to be. And yet we're looking at ourselves and thinking, why are you chosen us? I mean, we need more help than anybody else on the planet needs. So, and yet you're, you're doing all this, Father, and we're staying connected. We want to do it right. But everything appears like a big cartoon recently. It's like this big Looney Tune. Joe Biden's in the White House, and you know China's doing her thing, and the people are everywhere, and people are flipping out. And it's just like, 
time out. Let's get down to the basics here and, and let's kind of grow into a relationship. I don't know. Are you guys feeling Looney Tunes? I don't, I don't know. We got till the 19th. Yeah. salvation. Pitch a tent, bring salvation, preach the gospel at the border. But a lot of them are coming, and you know, and I know, that this is God is going to fill the land with men as caterpillars, and they're going to raise up a shout. That's part of the judgment on the Babylon in Jeremiah. So uh, we're, we're, we're all living here, and this environment's going on, and we're, we're trying to get things ready to go, and it's just this overwhelming something and I think a lot of people are really just going to say, you know what, I'm black and I'm, I'm blinking out of here. I, I, I'm done. Uh, enough is enough. This is spiritual warfare.
dealing in narcotics and buying up the country and part of the cartel. I, I have no idea, really. But we, but we do have a person that's running and has got a really good chance of winning is a communist who is friends with Maduro in Venezuela. Wow. You know? And, you know, when you, look at, when you look at what's happening right now in terms of like the EU 38-39 in the Middle East, how that whole war and everything is just coming together. You've got Iran, Turkey, and Azerbaijan coming together in a joint military exercise. Meanwhile, you've got Israel, you know, and, and Iran going back and forth. And it's just like, it's not a question of if, it's when. It's actually going to kick off. Because there's no way Israel's going to allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon. You know, Iran is, is, is an ally to Venezuela. They want to bring Iran in. They want to trade oil back and forth. And you got everything that's happening with the petrodollar. So it's like, you know, this could be this could be a safe haven, or this could be just like the hell on earth. Yeah. There's a scripture um, in Revelation that by their sorceries were all nations deceived. And uh, we know that that's the pharmacia, and we know that's pharmaceuticals, that's drugs. And I've noted since we did a number of things in the United States, like in 2015, we, the Supreme Court legalized men marrying men, women marrying women. They legalized marijuana in many of the states. You could openly smoke marijuana now. Uh, there's a lot of things that have happened that have, you know, with each one of these laws that passed, it was like an opening of a portal to bring in deceiving demonic spirits. And I believe they are running rampant within this, this nation and around the world. And I believe that by these sorceries, all nations really are deceived. You have people going to church today smoking marijuana, and they're doing it for their joint pain, and they're doing it because there's a good reason, but they're getting stoned. And they're, they're, they're serving the Lord, believing they're going to heaven. And, and there's arguments for these things. I, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, the idea of smoking marijuana and going to church would have been absurd. But today it's acceptable. What is that? Well, I think it's exactly what you said. It's, it's by legalizing it, it's, it's being ushered in spirits of deception. And, then, you know, it's no coincidence that in the Olivet Discourse, when the disciples asked Jesus, what would be the sign of your coming, the very first thing that he said is, see that no one deceives you. You know, and that, that's the very, very first thing. And, and that, that if the days were not shortened, even the elect would be deceived. You know, and we're the elect. And so it's like we need to be aware that the deception is, is, is getting thicker and thicker and thicker every single day. Yeah, I think for me, it's like, headlines every day and it's getting worse and worse. It's like it makes it so much more clear that scriptures that we are not against flesh and blood, but against powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And um, that is what is going on. And I think also God says set your eyes on things above, not below. That's how we're going to keep our sanity through this and realize that there is a spiritual war that God is going to allow to play out. And if we just keep looking for the answers in the um, in the secular carnal realm, we're just going to get frustrated and try to kill ourselves, or, or like there's no end to this. But but if we realize that God is letting this play out, it's orchestrating, it's happening in the heavenlies, you know, it's spiritual warfare, and it's just manifesting in the flesh here on earth, the eyes on earth, and um, you know we have to have that perspective. And I think that we just have to set our things, get more into His work and realize the whole, that there is an end to this, and it ends well. We want to be on the right side of that, that it does end. Amen. 
Amen. I think, I think too, that ties directly in with, um, with the turning, looking at ourselves, you know, because it's like when I, when I look at myself, when I look at the quackery, all the headlines and everything like that, every once in a while I hear something. Like the other day, I have heard Cindy Powell in months and months, I think. And the other day I was listening to her and she was talking about the fact, well, yes, you know, this did go wrong. And yes, we have proof that this election was skewed and yada, yada, yada. And she's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I just want the truth, you know. Let the chips fall where they may, but I just want to see the truth. You know, and so when I listen to something like that, I'm like, uh, you know, I wonder if maybe it's like, oh. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me hit you with a tough question, okay? Uh, because we're talking about deception. You just brought it up. Uh, we know in the world there's deception everywhere, and it's a refuge of lies. We know that scripturally. And, then, and, and the God of this world has blind the minds of the masses, no doubt. So my question is, every time I turn on Christian television now, I want to go to just, you know, I just want to hear maybe somebody's going to say something. Everything I'm hearing right now is the next prophetic work on the calendar of God is the rapture. The rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. I see some of the most incredible guys, Calvary Chapel, I'm, and I'm just going to use some denominations. Great people they have come across, but everybody's teaching the rapture. And I feel like I don't want to go into it because people that follow our little ministry here, uh, wherever they may be, whoever they are, uh, well, we've heard it before. But I feel like, man, people are getting slapped every single day. And every single time these people talk about the rapture, they're always going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's nonstop. And I've read it, and I've read it, and I've read it, and I've looked at it and looked at it. I've looked at the Gospels. I've looked at everything. It doesn't exist. It's not there. So what do you do with that, Brian and Kathy, where the millions and millions and millions of people right now are going, the next thing is the rapture, it's, it's here, and yet what we understand biblically, no, you're getting ready for more birth pangs that's going to lead to the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth, and a lot of people are going to fall away, and you're becoming a candidate by not, you know, at least preparing and looking into this, speak into that. raptured out before the Great Tribulation, before 1850. It didn't even exist. Nobody, you go back to the early church fathers and whatnot, nobody, nobody believed in that. Nobody thought that. And, and it, it comes down to the point where, where again, it's presuppositional apologetics, meaning you've got to get down to what is the original presupposition upon which people base their faith. And if, if you believe in a prosperity gospel, if you believe in a gospel and a God that would never allow suffering, that wants everyone to be healed, and that, that you know, if I just grow in enough faith, that, that I can make things, everything happen the way I want it to because I have the authority. If you begin with that, well, then the rapture makes perfect sense. You know, because why would God allow his people to go through this? He saved us. And, and the other thing is the, the confusion that they have with it is finished, right? And, and, um, it is finished it does not mean that the kingdom of heaven is finished. It means that that particular part of the battle was finished. The final sacrifice was made. You know that the um, I just read recently that that, uh, that when it, when on uh, the Passover the priest would would uh, tie the lamb to the uh, to the altar at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m. he would slay that. 
that God takes me out beforehand, I'll be okay with that. Amen. I don't want to be, I don't want to be putting all my eggs in the basket and believing that God is going to take me out and not allow me to suffer at all. I'm prepared for it anyway and end up like a foolish virgin with an empty lamp and not ready for anything, you know. So. Amen. Tough time. I have another question for you. I don't know how you feel about this. We've never talked about it. Um, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm tapping into territory I probably should be careful about. But I'm thinking about preterism. It's another doctrine of demons, in my opinion, uh, hyperpreterism, particularly where uh, this generation is being told that all Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled. The book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. We're in the millennial kingdom. Uh, how do you respond to that? What are your thoughts about preterism? Well, that's really simple, and that is you just go to Matthew 24. And Jesus is very clear in Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about the abomination, when you see the abomination of desolation set up, as the prophet Daniel spoke. First, he's speaking to Daniel 12, I think it is. <clears throat> so what we know about what we know about the abomination of desolation is before that happens, the, the, the daily sacrifice must be re-implemented somehow, some way. When we were in Israel, they had a, a, a the, the Sanhedrin there had a portable altar ready to go. They're ready to roll up on the Temple Mount within hours, you know, and begin the daily sacrifice there. So at some point, there's got to be the daily sacrifice needs to be re-implemented. Then we know that the, the actual three and a half year tribulation kicks off when the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. And then Jesus said, when you see this happening, flee to the mountains. That's telling the Jewish people, okay? So we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but the sacrifice was never re-implemented after that, and the sacrifice was never taken away. And so there's that, there's the typology of, uh, I forgot his, I forgot the Roman emperor's name. Titus? Nero? Anything 
without receiving the mark of the beast unless you have properly prepared and gone into a place where God is going to provide for you. Pretty much it. take on it and you can't you know speak into these things in five minute clips i get that uh but you do have you, you've studied all these things uh brian and kathy we've just come down to the end of our broadcast today uh as always want to thank you both for joining us on the air and um we just need to keep moving forward in this and i think people are starting to look forward to uh, our conversation um and if ever you guys have something that's just god put on your heart just Give me a quick shot. We'll bring you on the air. We'll let you express what God's put in your heart. I think people are trusting your ministry and, and they're loving what they're hearing. So, uh, Kathy, a final word before we go. Anything in your heart you'd like to say or share? Well, I'd just like to um, say thank you because we're enjoying this like fellowship too. It's really, uh, it's really an answer to prayer. So, thank you for just uh, everything you're doing and, and bringing us in. And we feel like we're, you know, we'll have a fellowship with the body of Christ. Good. Yeah, you're very brave. Between Brian and I, we could probably talk for three hours and not even know that it has passed, but um, you're important to be there. Hey, we love you guys, and I know the body of Christ wants to bless you. Uh, we're going to continue to go to New Wine Ministry and take up a special offering to share in your direction while you're doing the work uh, where you are. We just want to bless you, and um, thank you guys for sharing with us. And by the way, I have this up for anybody that's out there today that would like to support the ministry. Uh, it's right there on the screen, hopeintime.org. Very easy to donate to that ministry. Just go to hopeintime.org. Dot org, and you'll be able to sow into Brian and Kathy's ministry, their lives, their work, just to undergird them, however the Holy Spirit leads you to do it. Uh, we at New Wine Ministries will take up offerings. We'll be sending them as we go. Uh, guys, thanks a million. We love you. We appreciate you and value you, and uh, look forward to breaking bread and having some wonderful days that lie ahead in spite of the Looney Tunes that's going on around the world. Praise God. We'll keep it real. <laughs> 
Amen. All right. Shalom. We'll talk to you soon. Bless you. All right, guys, that's it for us. We're going to say goodbye right now. Tomorrow we'll be back on the air, Lord willing, and we'll be sharing uh, whatever God puts in our heart to share tomorrow. Uh, It's always good to have Brian and Kathy with us. And as I said, Monday night we'll be interviewing Daniel Seckham, Lord willing, and bringing him on Tuesday mornings to start the week. Uh, There's a very uh, big possibility we will not be on the air this Friday. Uh, We'll talk to you more about that tomorrow. Until we meet again, shalom, God bless you, and we love you. Have a great day. Be blessed.